0: Hey, welcome back to Pigeon Hockey. This is Chris, and today's co-host, Sebastian. Hello, hello. And you know us. We're just a goalie and a goon that have taken one too many pucks or fists at a head and do not claim to be hockey experts, but simply overzealous hockey fans that love to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. So be sure to follow us on Twitter to let us know what you think, and also be sure to comment and share any hockey games, news, or videos we should cover in an upcoming podcast. So the U.S. Air Force started flying the second I hit the record button. I was actually just about to ask you if you were living in a war-torn country. Well, I am actually. If you watch <laughs> the news, uh, there's always something horrible happening here. But we like to cover hockey and keep things happy and positive. But that said, we're actually going to turn the tables right now. We're going to talk some just awful, awful NHL contracts because we kind of, a couple weeks ago, were discussing just some of the, what were we discussing that led to the bad contracts? Some of these bad terrible trades. trades,
1: bad trades that led to some of these bad contracts, too.
0: Yeah, so this is kind of where we're at with this. So you know what? Let's break right into it. So what's a, just a terrible contract?
1: Uh, so for me, the first one is a double whammy, and it's out of the Minnesota Wild. So they they gave matching 13-year, $98 million contracts to Zach Parise and uh, Sutter, who both were up in age already to begin with when they gave him this 13-year contract. And this is absolutely handcuffing them to this day. Um, I think I get it. They wanted to keep, you know, they want to keep those guys locked in. They thought they were going to be, you know, the leader of the front end, the leader of the back end, moving forward. But the thing is, is if we gave these guys a $13 million contract four years before we gave it to them, it may have made sense. But at the time they gave it to them, it just didn't make sense. And it's still not making sense. You're paying a guy a boatload of cash to maybe give you a 10, 15 goals and a defenseman who is just too slow to be in the NHL right
0: now. These were absolutely awful contracts that have really handcuffed the wild ever since like maybe for the first year or two they kind of looked good but even then i still remember thinking back then like that's a lot to invest in these two guys yes they're getting some of the best free agents on the market but at what cost is This is going to backfire on them and well it didn't take long for it to start backfiring on the wild
1: no absolutely not and i mean it's they're at basically a 7.6 by the time you round it up per year on the, you know, on the annual and like that's on a team that should be really rebuilding right now. That's just a huge, huge handcuff. And that's like, that's a contract that they're really not going to be able to go. I mean, unless a player falls on long-term IR and they're able to basically use that cap for positive, ship it off to a team who needs a cap space. I think that's the only positive twist on these contracts, but if these players stay healthy and continue through and basically play out the rest of this contract. These have just been some of the worst contracts in actual history.
0: Oh, <laughs> I agree with they, you. They're absolutely brutal, and they do nothing but honestly handcuff that entire team. My contract here, so I have to be a homer on some of these because these contracts have destroyed Buffalo, and there's so many, but I'm going to specifically talk about Billy Liano's contract. What an awful, awful contract. Now, this contract was done in 2011. He had one good year, really, with Philly. And he was one of the top free agents available. And I think this is when the Pagoulas had just bought the team. So Darcy Regeer was super excited that the Buffalo Sabres finally had money and he could go after whatever players he wanted. And he didn't use any intelligence with making this decision because you don't pay six years, $27 million to a guy that had a good season. It made no sense when they signed. When I heard we got him, I was thrilled. And then I saw the contract and I was like, whoa, <laughs> Like that seems kind of high for a guy who had a good season, just a good season. You know, and honestly, he scored a whopping 10 goals for us in 137 games. So I think that works out to $2.7 million a goal. And uh, we know we had to buy him out in 2014. Uh, in fact, I read a story where he considered his last year in Buffalo as like being in jail.
1: <laughs> that's that's when you know you've got a, a quite a happy a player on your hands.
0: Yeah, and I, I get it. I get that you know because he wasn't performing and he had this massive contract that he felt the pressure but you're also making crazy money so find a way to step your game up and he never did and that's why we had to buy him out in 2014 just just a brutal contract in in sabers history there and oh like i think this is where also that the team started despite really being really good for all this time this is this is the contract that kind of started, in my opinion, the Sabres downfall with really not making intelligent decisions and not making hockey decisions, but rather just making, I don't know, off the cuff. I don't know. It's just we haven't made the playoffs since this contract. Not going to lie. Yeah. And
1: I mean, you know, so well, I mean, you see with a lot of NHL teams, right, you'll have a player that have one big season. Uh, and I think that's why analytics has become such a big part of hockey, because people are now. Looking at you know past stats and you know projected stats before they hand out these massive contracts, and I don't think that was happening. Well, I, know. I don't. Not, I don't think. I know this wasn't happening before. So you know a player was having a quote unquote breakout season, getting signed to a three, three year like 35 million dollar contract or whatever, and then just going back to being the guy who gives you 10 goals. I mean a great example is and I can remember get talk about homer just being a, a sense fan. Um, and this is one of my bad contracts, but it probably should be. But it's just an example is um, thinking, like, as a Sense fan, now Smith, for example, I think he scored 25 to 30 goals a year, and he was, he was, a, he was a scrapper. That's, he was a scrapper kind of guy. And they gave him, they or he was expecting big money at the end of that, that year. Um, and I think that's what happened with, with Buffalo, right? You got a guy who has one big season, they're just loading up that truck to give him all the money they can. And, you know, he goes back to being the player he really was and just kind of had a, a good season, and it, it, it burns them.
0: I think I make smarter decisions in my NHL game because if a guy has a really good season, I I look at the statistics and I'm like, okay, if you had two really good seasons, I'm going to give you a two-year contract. But I'm not giving you a seven-year deal because you had two really good seasons. You've got to prove to me that you're a consistent player. For me to give you the big contract, because I don't want to handcuff my team. I want to be able to develop properly, or I want to be able to cut you loose or make a decent trade for you. Because if you're not performing and you only got one year left on your deal, there's a better chance I can make you a rental player to another team. I don't know. Some of these guys, I don't know how they get their jobs. Truthfully, there's not some of these guys. Seriously, some of the GMs in the NHL just need to be swapped out with uh, with fresh thinkers. Because look at guys, seriously, what some of these guys can do when you're talking about oh uh, boy in Detroit. Eisenman iserman right you're talking about the way he builds teams and then you look at what sackik's doing in colorado and these guys know hockey you know and apparently garce Snow really really hockey thinker too and you know he's been able to even with everything that happened on the island he was still able to create a successful team and yeah but, absolutely, and absolutely. i mean
1: Look at Kyle Dubas. I mean, he brought in analytics, you know, to the hardcore, and they're, you know, they're, they're in a, they're in the win now stage for the Leafs. Um, it's just about bringing in, like you said, like a fresh thinker, someone who looks at it a little differently, um, and not someone who's just going to jump the gun on, you know, one season of stats.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where these contracts come into play. So, what's the next contract that's just awful for you?
1: Uh, so for me, the next contract. Um, It comes from the Canucks, and they gave Louis Erickson a six-year, $36 million deal. Now, you're thinking six-year, $36 million, not the worst. You know, there's been a lot worse. But right now, Louis Erickson, I don't think he may have scored this year. I don't think he did, though. It's been like two years or something like that since he scored a goal. He's been on and off the taxi squad um, all year, and he was a healthy scratch for a ton of last year as well. Um, You know, this is a player who had a couple decent seasons, maybe one great season in Boston. And then as soon as he got into the Canucks, they just basically backed up the truck full of money and gave it to him. And and for the Canucks who are rebuilding, you know, that cap space is super important. And this is just, again, a handcuff contract where they weren't looking at the future, they're looking at the now. And that player basically just took $36 million and put it in his pocket and walked away.
0: Yeah, some of these quick hit contracts are just brutal. And I want to say that, Mostly speaking, Boston doesn't make really bad deals. Boston will let people who are like, wow, they're letting this guy go or they're trading this guy. Boston makes really, I think, a lot of times really, really, really intelligent decisions with, you know, their guys. And sometimes, like you said, with the Louis Erickson having a really good season, and then Boston's like, all right, bye. You know, it, they know. I think who's the GM for Boston?
1: Estrade. Or, yeah. No, it's not Shirelli anymore. Shirelli moved on. I don't know who it is currently, but it was Shirelli at the time.
0: But honestly, he's made a lot of, like, Shirelli's made a lot of really fantastic decisions, and it looks like Boston just keeps going down that road. You know, they they build a winner, and they have really smart contracts, and they're able to develop the right guys and are afford to let guys walk away. So it's now Don Sweeney. I'm on Cap Friendly, and it is now Don Sweeney. So... They just make really, really good decisions, and when you look at the way the the Bruins are built, I'm jealous of just how sexy their team is. Seriously. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're a player on the Bruins, you know that there's the three or four guys who lock up most of the money, and it's been like that for a while. You know, you got to know your role. And I mean, it happened with Tori Krug this year. You know, he wanted a little bit more money, Boston wasn't quite willing to give it, so he walked and ended up in you know St. Louis. So, you know the they're not afraid to let guys walk and, and not be held hostage. And, you know, sometimes it can hurt them, you know, when they traded away Seguin. I think they would love a guy like Sega on their team right now. But, again, at the time, they're just basically saying, you know, we're not going to let a player hold us hostage. We'll move on from you. We'll still win cups. And they have. They, they still yeah. won cups without these guys. So I, I think it it was very good, you know, for a long time. Um, And it takes a lot of balls as a GM to basically say, you know what, the fan base is going to hate me, but see you later.
0: Yeah, because how many hate me decisions have the De Bruins made, but they keep winning?
1: Exactly. So I mean, it's kind of like you know, everyone's everyone's you know, mad at the the GM, and next thing you know, then you know, a year or two years later, they've won a cup again. So and everything, everything's <laughs> everyone's forgotten about any player that's ever been traded. Like you know, people probably completely forgot this. that game was in Boston at one point because they've won so many cups since.
0: Yeah, and so my next contract is going to be Brad Richards. When the New York Rangers, again, another 2011 contract, they signed him at that time, I think he was 31 years old, and they signed him to a nine-year, $60 million contract. And what, it took, in three years, he was already on the fourth line, and, uh, you know, he was bought out after they lost the Stanley Cup to Los Angeles. They'll be paying him through 2026.
1: Yeah, and I think this, again, I mean, you look at some of these contracts with the team and maybe they're not quite where they want to be or where a free agent wants to be. So they offer a little bit more extra money or extra long you know, length of, of time to get a player in. I think that's what happened here. And again, usually these, I mean, maybe once in a while they pan out, but most of the time these are horrible, horrible experiences, and that's basically exactly what
0: happened. And this is why I think really that the NHL needs to restructure. And of course, I'm, I'm sure this is a discussion between the NHLPA and the NHL because the NHLPA is going to do what it can to protect its players. But I think it's better for the league to have a contract limitation that's way shorter than what they have. I think if they max out, you know, grandfathering in current contracts, they can max out the longest a team can sign a player for is five years. Yeah, and, I, I
1: completely agree with that.
0: And then say what happens. So, say the, the Buffalo Sabres want to re sign Darlene and he's looking for eight million or eight years, 88 million, right? Let's say that's what he'd want. Well, you can't do that anymore. You can max out at five years and you can max out at whatever the NHL decides the cap is for a player at this point, which I think is 11 or 12 million. And this doesn't lock the team in because if, if Darlene just has a few bad years, well, he only got two years of that contract left to pay out. If he has a really great year and it, it would be the resign phase too, like when you have to resign phase and his contract goes down to four years. Now the Sabres can be like, hey, do you want to, you know, and you give the but I would still say in this case, you can't resign him. If he's at the four year mark, you can basically do what you can do in the past. Maybe they bump it up to two years instead of one year. They're like, hey, two years out, do you want to extend? But you don't want to run into one of those Alexi Yashin decisions where he doesn't want to play out the last year of his contract and wants to sit like a pouty child. I say that the NHL could work out a way to protect the teams, which protects the sport moving forward. If you don't allow these stupid long contracts and you don't allow this, well, we're going to put $15 million in first year and then $10 million and then $8 million. Nope. Even across the board, you don't get all this money up front. I'd say it stales at, if you're signing a five year contract at eleven million a year, you get eleven million a year. You don't get fifteen up front and then work its way down. I don't like that. it's because it i, I think- actually
1: I'm actually gonna disagree with you on that. I do like the front loaded contracts. Um, I think if you've got the space for it, especially if you know you're making a run, you know you' you're building up, you've got a player who wants to leave because the team isn't quite where it wants to be yet, but you can see it happening in the next couple of years. You front load a contract, one you can pay for it, and then as that contract gets smaller and smaller, you're able to add players into the team that has grown to where you want to be, and you can make a run. I think it's a, it's a smart way to keep a player locked in who maybe says, you know, this team's you know two years away from being a contender. I'm out of here. If you're able to pay them, you know, a boatload of cash in that that first year. A little bit more in that second year, and it cuts down in that third year when you are a contender. You're keeping that quality player on your team, and you're able to build around them.
0: Okay, so but with those front-loaded contracts, it's still the salary cap still hits at 11 million a year if it's an 11 million dollar contract, right? You, you might only be paying him 7.5 in the final year, but it's an 11 million dollar cap, correct?
1: Yeah, but for the exactly, but for the player itself, though, he's making say however many however much money in the first year. It's incentive for him to stay on to a team where he maybe doesn't think it's quite there yet. But you know, especially if he knows, oh, in two, three years, or in, hey, next year this will be a great team or whatever. Well, you you know, you're going to stick it out and make that money. Yeah, it's still the same cap hit, but you're you're making that money quicker. Exactly. Uh, and I'll have to look in, I've actually been reading a book recently that talks about the caps and break it down. I could be completely wrong. It could be a bigger cap hit that moves into a smaller, which for some reason I'm thinking that's what it is, but I, you know, maybe a, that's a, that's a maybe a conversation we can have on a later podcast where we talk about you know different cap hits and that kind of stuff, you know, long-term injury and what it is you know, for, for basically hawk fans who don't understand why certain contracts are offered or how a player can be retired and still be making money or whatever. Maybe that's something we can have a discussion about when we can really break it down.
0: Yeah, that would be a really cool conversation. I love actually reading these books about hockey and, and seeing what happens behind the scenes. That's why I really liked that uh, Gary Bettman book. I thought that was really interesting, and I would just I killed that thing in a couple days. And you know, I've got Cujo's book, and I got Malarchuk's book, and I've got uh, I think Ken Dryden has a book too, right? I think I have that one. Yeah, yeah. So those ones I I got to get to, but I love that behind the scenes stuff. But I really really like the business of hockey. I love the business side of hockey. And that's the stuff I love reading about. I love knowing those intricate little details that the general hockey fan doesn't know. And so, yeah, when it comes to these caps, I think depending on how they work them out. So let's say if, you know, Darlene didn't want to, you know, we traded him in the final season of his contract and he's only going to be making seven and a half million that year. Well, you might get a team like, let's say the Islanders wanted him. Right. And they'd be like, oh, OK, well, it's an 11 million dollar hit, but we only owe him how much left. OK, we'll take that. We can pay that out. Um they might have the cap space to take on an eleven million dollar contract, even though they might only be paying out the remaining a portion of a seven point five million dollar payout. You know what I mean, so maybe that's the benefit the front loaded i just don't I just don't like it 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 hurts my little like my brain works in a certain function I like knowing that's how much we're paying <laughs> you know? yeah. But uh, once I, if I learned the details about it, maybe I'd look at it differently. But right now, I'd say if you're paying out a contract, that that's what they get, period. And I still got to understand if, what these players retire because my next con- – well, actually, I think that's the final contract I'm probably going to talk about. I think that uh, this conversation surrounding the way that the NHL could restructure – and again, this is has to be negotiated with the NHLPA, but I think these long contracts of nine, ten years – God, look at what what a look at what a how the wild could have saved themselves had there been a restriction, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: If, I mean, if, you're not offering someone a thirteen year contract when they're already a little up there in age,
0: and it it just really restricts it. And I think that's the way forward with the National Hockey League is these long term contracts just bury teams and really restrict what they can do. And it just allows for some absurdities to happen. And that's what some of these contracts are. They're just absurd.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, talk about absurdity. I may go into my next one here if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, it's absurd of the decision that was made here. The contract itself wasn't horrendous, but it's more the effect of the contract. Uh, I don't remember the exact year, but there was a season where the Senators had about $44 million going in left in the cap space to move on into the offseason. And they had to make a choice between Wade Redden, who, don't get me wrong, had been there for a long time, uh, and Zadino Chara, who was becoming the league defenseman. Uh, they offered they end up choosing Wade Red and offered him a two year, thirteen million dollar contract, um, and letting Zadino Char walk. So obviously Zadino Chara goes on, becomes the captain of the Bruins, wins, you know, cups, becomes one of the, the most feared defensemen in the league, you know, big hitter, uh, you know, a, a great leader, just basically one of the I would say probably one of the the best not the, but one of the best uh, defensemen in Bruins history. Uh, and then Wade Redden ends up leaving the two years after to, and takes a, a again, which was probably I think was ranked one of the worst NHL contracts. I don't remember the exact number, but a six-year deal in New York, and that didn't work out for New York. But you know, basically the Sens took a shot in Redden on two years and basically let a I think one of the greatest defensemen of all time walk uh, to make that decision. So again, the contract itself wasn't bad. It was what the contract did to the Senators that I think was bad.
0: No, I'm going to agree with you on that completely. (laughs) You know, that was a horrible contract and a terrible decision, just a terrible decision. And again, we can sit here as, you know, uh, you know, couch GMs and, and talk about what a terrible decision it was. And, you know, they were making the decision they thought was best at the time and letting him walk was brutal because man he just became he's the face of that franchise absolutely the face of the Bruins franchise
1: oh absolutely and i mean it, it i think that could have been ottawa i mean i don't i think don't think they would have the same success don't get me wrong i think boston had a lot of other pieces in place but that was kind of a a mainstay on the on the blue line that ottawa really needed um you know they had carlson a few other players that came through after that but having a charter back there as well um would it would have I think, made a huge difference for Ottawa.
0: Oh, absolutely a massive difference, and love having him on the Caps now. I'll quickly wrap up, not going into too many detail, but the last contract I wanted to talk about was, again, Buffalo. Cody Hodgson's uh, 2013 contract. You know, this one, six years, $25.5 million. I think he was 22 years old when we signed him. Uh, He only ended up playing 189 games for the Sabres, and that worked out to about $135,000 per game is what this Um, contract worked out to be one of the things I didn't know about his contract it ended up being a terrible contract he just didn't pan out as a saber and I think we bought him out in 2015 but I didn't know he was actually diagnosed with a rare muscle disease and therefore was bought out Uh, and we're paying him out through 2023 but that disease definitely must have affected his game because he just he was such a hot young talent and I was so stoked to get him as a Buffalo Sabre, totally opposite of Leano contract where I just thought, why are we signing him for this much with with Hodgson? I'm like, no, this is, this, this deal's worth it. This kid is going to be amazing and we'll be locking him until he's 28 years old, but he just faded really like substantially quick and had no idea about what he'd been diagnosed with at the time. But you know, that contract we're still paying it out. That was a, that was a absolutely like with yours, with the, the senators letting, char a walk with this one you can't predict some things that'll happen in life and yeah but it ends up really being a contract that hurt the buffalo sabers
1: yeah absolutely like you said it was a prospect with you know a a lot of upside to it and it just didn't pan out so it's a bad contract but it was one of the ones where you know they kind of took a big swing at it and it wasn't one of the ones where you're scratching your head when they take the big swing it was kind of like okay you know this is going to be a a future key piece of the buffalo sabers and unfortunately you know whether it's the disease or um just you know he has he peaked and hit his plateau and never really became what it is um it didn't work out so that's kind of a bad uh, you know one of those bad luck contracts uh but but again it wasn't one of the ones where you're really scratching your head at the start of it but definitely now where it's kind of like you know that cap space would be huge for the Sabres right now
0: yeah because honestly i can i can diagnose our whole team and i'll go through at least four or five contracts that are going to kill us but you know, and there's a lot of teams out there I can do that with just so you can look through each team in the NHL and go, oh, that's a bad contract. Oh, that's a bad contract. But no, I think we could do some of these episodes in the future. So what do you all think? What contracts did we not mention? We only mentioned six of them here, but what contracts did we not mention that you think are just absolutely brutal contracts in NHL history or current NHL contracts that are just, you know, killing teams? Let us know. But until next time, this is Chris and Sebastian. Keep your sticks on the ice. We're Pigeon Hockey, and we'll catch you next time.